Hello and welcome to the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm here today with Zach Armstrong. Zach is a certified financial planner and financial advisor at Sage Ruddy. He works in a fiduciary capacity with his clients focusing on numerous financial planning issues. These include making customized investment recommendations, assisting with insurance and estate planning, discussing tax planning solutions, and putting a plan in place for college savings. Zach dedicates much of his time to providing personalized retirement planning solutions for his clients. Overall, he aims to deliver solutions for all client financial needs. Importantly, Zach specializes in socially responsible investing, which is probably what we're going to talk about today quite a bit, and that is to make sure that his clients don't have to sacrifice their beliefs and values to accomplish their financial goals. And I'm thinking back, uh, actually, probably the, the first time that we really started to get to know each other was on uh, with Evan Dawson. We were, on, we were on connections to talk a little bit about socially responsible investing and conscious capitalism. And, and ever since, I've been looking forward to continuing the discussion. So thanks for coming in today, Zach. Yeah, Andrew, definitely. Uh, thanks for having me and looking forward to the uh, discussion as I, as I always do when we're talking about these types of topics. So before we get into uh, socially responsible investing, we, we have had Sage Ruddy uh, and Wayne Holly on a previous podcast and learned a little bit about their kind of purpose and their culture. And we were talking before we got started a little bit about your experience in the industry and then how you came to Sage Ruddy. So what's the culture like at Sage Ruddy? I mean, was that a factor in you coming to Sage Ruddy? Um, how does that pl- c- come into play? Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm uh very proud of the culture at Sage Ruddy. You know, I'm sure Wayne uh, talked very in depth about the the culture and the uh, the way that they conduct the business. But you know, for me as a uh, free agent on the job market, so to speak, when I was looking to to make a change from a previous employer, I looked into Sage Ruddy, and and during the interview process, I you know went through to kind of do my due diligence to see if I thought the firm would be a fit. And, you know, one of the interesting things that I learned was they were you know, in the process of, I think, several years running of, of winning a uh, one of the top companies to work for. And, you know, generally that was something that really stood out as important to me. You know, you want to have a uh, career opportunity, you want to have growth, but you want to have a culture that fosters that and uh, really is an employee first type of a culture. Uh, so that's kind of what I gathered even before heading to Sage Ruddy that I think helped make me feel very comfortable with that decision. And, you know, obviously over, you know, close to the, the next five years since I've been here, uh, I've been, you know, thrilled with that decision and thrilled with the, the culture and the feedback and the uh, employee first and the community focus that we have as an organization. Yeah. So, are there any are there any practices there uh, that that stand out to you, or anything that comes up when you're thinking about the culture and how they really, you know, embody and practice what they preach that 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 really uh, make you feel connected to to Sage Ruddy and to that culture and purpose? Yeah. I mean, I think I feel very connected as an employee due to uh, a lot of outreach that is done by you know our our president and CEO Wayne Holly and his management team. Um, There's a very high level of interconnectedness in terms of reaching out for employee feedback, uh, doing a lot of the uh, surveys and having a lot of the firm-based events, uh, doing town hall meetings where we can all come in and discuss different issues within the organization and any suggestions for improvement. I mean, I think it's very unique to have a company that really isn't afraid to just completely open up the doors and say, ask us any question that you have and we can discuss, you know, why we have policies in place, if there may be an opportunity to, to change them to improve upon the, the culture for employees. Um, 
so just being able to have that ongoing, you know, open door policy, ongoing communications, I think uh, it really pays dividends for the organization and, and for the employees. Excellent. Well, we were talking as well about your uh, role and, and your, your path to becoming a, a financial advisor. So uh, what, what drew you to the field? Uh, you know, does, that, does that fit in with your purpose or did you kind of stumble into it and, and now you're starting to find more purpose in it? Where, 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 did, that, where did that come to, to light for you? Sure. Uh, I was always, you know, from a younger age, I was always interested in the, the field of financial planning, uh, investment management, I think I probably bought my first, you know, stocks personally when I was like 15 or 16 years old, and and always was very intrigued by financial markets and investment management. Um, as I, you know, learned a little bit more as I got older and got closer towards college age, I had learned about some. Uh, probably less than ideal uh, financial decision-making that various you know, family members had made with uh, you know, poor financial planning advice or poor management. And it was something that I you know, started to really consider much more deeply at that point as a college student that you know, one day maybe I could be someone who could provide people with the, you know, the right type of financial advice that could really positively uh, affect financial outcomes and improve upon financial outcomes for individuals. So it was something that was always in the back of my mind as a as a college student, and you know, luckily I found an opportunity that I thought was a, a fit to get me in the industry uh, right out of college, and uh, I've been you know in the industry ever since then, probably going on you know, closer to eight years or something like that now, not including uh, all of my previous work before my uh, out of college experience. So uh, certainly no uh, no regrets, and I look back and I'm happy on kind of the way that everything's developed, and I'm happy to be doing what I'm doing. Excellent. Yeah. Well, you know, if you you had that early interest and kind of cultivate it over time, and and it can it can evolve into into that purpose and something that it sounds like you find a lot of uh, a lot of fulfillment in, in in your work every day. So that's wonderful. And and then as we're as we're thinking then beyond uh, beyond Sage Ruddy and kind of into some of the the fields of of expertise that you've. Fallen, fallen into, or, or maybe intentionally found. Um, I want to hear a little bit about first how you define socially responsible uh, investing, but then how did this, how did this particular piece become important to you? I think uh, you know one of the interesting things about socially responsible investing, and and we've talked about this before. To an extent, it kind of focuses um, as a as a buzzword because it really might mean a little bit something different to each and, and every person. Uh, what I always say is that I don't want investors to have to feel like they have to sacrifice their their morals or their beliefs uh, so that they can try to accomplish a financial goal. Um, so you know it may look completely different for one person in comparison to the next person in terms of what those important morals and, and values are. You know, some people it might be environmentally based, some people it might be uh, workplace behavioral based, uh, other people it might be animal rights advocacy, and um, you name it. There's all different sorts of focuses that could be at play when you're talking about socially responsible investing. Um, but for me, you know, I had a lot of clients that started to come to me um, many years back, uh, probably dating back, you know, maybe seven or eight years with an interest in socially conscious investing and wanting to have a more socially responsible portfolio. And at the time, it was something that uh, was resonating with me more and more. And we started you know, building customized, socially responsible portfolios for clients. Uh, and ever since then, it's really been 
something that that to me has been an exponential uh, grower in terms of interest from clients and kind of new people coming in the door. And uh, it's something that I'm very proud to offer to clients and I think is, you know, very representative of uh, the way that we like to conduct business. So uh, it's been a it's been a focus of mine and a growing focus of mine for a lot of clients at this point and, you know, look forward to just continuing to grow and educate the public on the options that are available. So it sounds like it came out of uh, clients that were asking for it. That there was really a, a a market being created. People wanted to people wanted to invest in in alignment with with their values. And and it sounds like as well that with seven or eight years under your belt, you were really uh, at the forefront of this because I, I don't think many people were talking about it seven or eight years ago. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to me because it was uh, a concept that I was becoming familiar with from different readings that I was doing, and you know, it was something that I I thought had a, a lot of purpose and a lot of validity, but you know, at that time, didn't have any clients that necessarily were a socially responsible investor. And it, like you said, the growth kind of came organically. You know, clients coming asking if there was you know certain things that we could do to reflect uh, you know better reflect their values in their investment portfolios, and that was when you know the the wheels really started spinning on all different types of you know the research and the solutions that can be brought to the table. And you know, ever since then, we've just been you know growing and, and expanding on that from there with with different clients and, and new relationships to have a socially uh, responsible focus. Interesting. So I guess, I, I mean, seven or eight years is quite, quite a long time. And, and especially in a, in a newer uh, field or, or interest area. So how have you seen socially responsible investing? Has it evolved in that time? How, how have you seen things, things chain, change? And do you consider it an industry or a kind of a, a niche area? Or what, what do you call it? I mean, I would certainly think that it's a, a niche amongst the overall, you know, financial solutions, you know, financial services industry. It's funny because just in the last, you know, seven or eight years or even the last five years, I've seen uh, a lot of advancement, a lot of uh, evolving that's happened within this, you know, socially responsible niche. Uh, for example, you know, when we first started getting involved in socially responsible investing, uh, you know, a big focus in terms of solutions was trying to simply exclude uh, companies that that you don't believe in. So if you are, you know, a really anti uh, a company that has a lot of pollution, for example, you might be trying to exclude certain oil company focuses, fossil fuels, uh, things of that nature. And, and that was really some of the uh, initial onset was more of an exclusionary type of an approach where we just try to get rid of the bad or get rid of the uh, companies that conduct themselves in, in a business manner that maybe we don't agree with uh, as an investor. And over the last you know, several years, we've really seen uh, a plethora of options continuing to uh, develop and, and fine-tune an approach by which it's a little bit more inclusionary in nature. So you know, not only do we, are we able to kind of take that first step and exclude companies that do business in a way that, that we don't maybe morally or ethically agree with, then we can kind of try to take the next step and uh, zero in on companies that you know, not only are they not doing business in that way, but they're actually doing business in such a way that provides for uh, a betterment of society. They're they're really focusing with more of a conscious uh, capitalism approach to their companies, and they're you know they're scoring very strongly versus a lot of their peers and their competitors in terms of a lot of different uh, you know societal uh, social focuses. And now you can you can really build in more depth where you're trying to invest in companies where you feel like you're rewarding companies that are doing business the right way and. 
you know, I, ideally that's something that can even uh, benefit investment returns over time as well, which uh, you know, I, I know a lot of investors that we have been very happy with how strategies have played out, and especially in terms of, you know, being able to have success while not having to sacrifice things that they don't believe in personally. Yeah, that's interesting because we we've been talking in in previous episodes about, you know, being really conscious of, you know, a conscious consumer and the way that, you know, are you voting with your dollars in terms of the companies that you're uh, that you're patronizing, right? Or maybe in your investments, are you are you putting your investments uh, to support companies that that align with your values? Uh, so, other than maybe the way that you're spending your dollars, or the way that you're if you're putting money into into SRI funds, I know that there's other sort of ways of having impact investments, right? Like I, I often will donate to, uh, to Kiva, for example, right? Cause that's, that's a certain way of, of giving a d- donation, helping someone start a business, a, a low interest or zero interest loan. Um, are, what other kinds of impact investing, you know, are out there other than maybe putting your, your money into a fund that, that is a socially responsible fund? No, that's a, that's a great question. And you know, what <clears throat> you hit a, you know, one, uh, solution right on the head is being able to be a part of organizations that are you know, focusing on low interest loans for uh, developing companies that are you know looking to do business in the right way. Um, there's a lot of of companies and um, kind of a crowd fundraising that can go on for uh, newer types of companies that are really trying to grow organically by doing the right things from a societal perspective. So they may you know donate a certain percentage of profits to different uh, you know societal causes, and you know that's one of the things that you know I think investors look for is to try to maybe have an impact with their investing. Uh, but above and beyond that, I mean, there's certain investments like green bonds, for example, you know, bonds that you can purchase so you are uh, technically a funder of a project that is going to have a uh, positive environmental impact. Um, a lot of them have environmental focuses. You might be looking at things like uh, clean water projects for municipalities. And you know, I've, I've seen more interest in these different types of impact strategies where your you know, dollars uh, that are being invested in, in some manner are going to, in some way, shape, or form, fund a, a project that is having a positive you know, societal impact. Uh, so those, you know, those impact investments are certainly uh, becoming more and more positive, which I, I think is a, uh, a great uh, impact for society and investors to have the opportunity to, to be a part of. So where can people find out more about that? Is that something if, if you were a client or, or if they were a client of yours that you might be able to tell them about those green bonds, for example, or are there other marketplaces or websites or things where you can find out about different ways to, to invest your money or, or what, what might you re- recommend to people that are interested in learning more about that? Well, you know, it's kind of a, it's one of those things where you do have to be cautious to an extent because what we're talking about here is still an investment. Um, as much as, an, as it's an investment on paper that we can feel good about making, we have to, you know, remember at the heart of what's happening is we have an investment. And with any investment, there comes a level of risk associated with that. So uh, there are, you know, if someone is looking to do all of these things on their own and not work with maybe a financial advisor, uh, there there are a fair amount of online resources. But what I always tell people is, you know, I, I prefer people have a conversation with an expert who's doing it all the time because you know, it's one thing to look online for resources that, uh, you know, sound good in terms of the purpose or the cause. 
but without getting into the you know the uh, the intricate details of of the financials and how some of these potential investments work, uh, there could be you know an unknowing level of risk that could be uh, hidden in an investment just like any other type of an investment. So I always tell people you're better off to talk to a professional, somebody who focuses on uh, these types of investment solutions on a day to day basis, and you know just learn about what options might be out there and and learn about certain things that that may appeal to you based on what you're hoping to accomplish. Got it. So I'm interested as well if if I were, you know, if we're sitting down and I want to invest my money in a, a, you know, socially responsible way, as you were mentioning earlier, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. People have different values or maybe just different things that are most important to them. Uh, so what does that kind of intake process look like? Because I, I can imagine that many people don't know the options that are out there. Um, you know, is there, are, there, are there questionnaires? Or how do you start to get at what those important things are of where people want to spend their money and or where they want to make sure to not put their money? No, that's a, that's a really good question. It just just kind of went through the process uh, two weeks ago with a, with a family who was you know interested in being socially responsible investors. And you know, we sat down and we went through a, a checklist that we have of different potential uh, you know societal uh, issues that someone may or may not have a concern or, or particular feeling about and uh, the checklist is pretty extensive there's probably at least you know 30 to 40 uh, different potential areas of interest to look at um, and I just you know go through kind of on an individual basis with uh, potential investors that may be interested on things that they may feel you know very powerful about one way or the other. And then we can kind of come to a determination that, you know, maybe out of 40 different um, issues that someone could choose to uh, take out of their portfolio or choose to, you know, manage around, uh, maybe five or six are pertinent for an individual person. And then we kind of use that as a, as a starting point to, to build a, a socially responsible portfolio to their wishes and desires from there. Now, does it become more difficult if they're maybe um, already have investments that have been, you know, they they made for years, or ma- whether with you or with someone else, um, to to get get out of certain investments or to to shift things around if they're not kind of starting from scratch, or how does how does that sort of sort of work if they're if they're just starting to want to invest in a more socially responsible way. No, that's a that's a great question, and that was one I had uh, about a month ago or so from a, a new client relationship who had always had always done things a, a different way with a different company, and you know they had accumulated some some nice wealth over the years, and they were retired, and you know really felt like socially responsible investing was something for them, but they also knew that it was a, a big change from their current investment strategy. Uh, so we kind of went through the process and talked about all the different types of you know options that were available to them based on what they wanted to accomplish. And I just tried to show them you know a side by side comparison of you know where they were currently and how they could make uh, you know an investment structure change with a different approach that didn't change the overall risk of their portfolio, uh, didn't you know negatively impact their investment performance at all. And show them that as much as it might have sounded like a big change, that it wasn't as big of a change to go through the process. And you know, in that case, it made them feel much more comfortable and, and want to proceed forward 
uh, one of the areas you know that we always have to be cautious about is if you're talking about non-retirement uh, money. So if you just have regular brokerage account or joint account uh, type of money that could have tax ramifications, that's where we have to be careful with with making changes because we don't want to do anything that's going to negatively impact people from a tax perspective. Um, but making, but generally in most cases, making a change to a socially uh, responsible uh, portfolio and a, and a new strategy isn't as um, tough of a task as, as it might seem on paper. Okay. It's the other thing that I'm that I'm thinking about as well is when you're starting to invest your money in in these sorts of ways. Um, you know, is it something where different different demographics are coming to you differently? Like, like I, I don't use usually like to talk about you know millennials. I think that whole thing is overblown. But but do you see that your that your younger uh, clients tend to tend to care more about this, or or maybe on the other end of the spectrum that that some of the older folks are starting to think about their legacy and where they're putting their money? Or is it is it been a pretty universal thing that people are starting to uh, to consider how their money is being invested? Uh, that's a that's a great question that I've you know I've discussed on some different occasions, but I think part of the uh, the initial thought process around socially responsible investing was that it was driven from a millennial perspective, <clears throat> and and I certainly see uh, a lot of millennials that do have uh, an interest and a desire to be socially conscious in their investments, but I would not say that there's many more millennials than baby boomers, for example, because I have a lot of baby boomer clients who are socially responsible investors. And I am seeing, you know, what might have started as kind of a trickle up effect where, you know, millennials had and have an interest. But like you said, uh, you know, older investors, retired investors may be thinking more about their legacy and and that question of specifically, where are your dollars going? Uh, So instead of just looking at a generic, you know, ABC investment fund and not necessarily knowing what every uh, investment holding or stock that you have underneath the hood really is thinking a little bit deeper and and not wanting to essentially be an investor or someone who is rewarding a particular company with your dollars that you might completely disagree with their their business purpose. So I have seen that becoming more popular amongst uh, really all demographics, which I think is is great you know, as a whole. Do you see when when you're dealing with different different clients? Uh, it, it, are there themes that that you're finding are more important to people? Like, is it the is it the pollution, or or are there certain elements, m- maybe animal rights or things like that, that that are most common? Um, and does that change at all with different demographics in terms of the the things that they care about, the causes that they're focused on? You know, I don't know if it. Interestingly enough, I don't know if it necessarily changes a lot across demographics in terms of you know one demographic has a certain cause for concern in a particular area that another demographic doesn't really have as much. Uh, I see a lot of similar you know causes for concern and and you know social focuses across demographics, but I would say in terms of you know where some of the most prominent uh, you know focuses are, I, I do see a lot of focus on wanting to have uh, environmental focuses at play, not uh, investing in companies that are, you know, heavy in, in fossil fuel exposure and, uh, you know, promoting essentially a, a negative type of a atmospheric environment where, you know, a lot of pollution is at play. And I think that's a, that's a pretty big cause that's in a, a fair amount of uh, my clients' portfolios. You'll see uh, animal rights advocacy 
And, you know, another one that, that really has, has grown a lot in popularity um, amongst all demographics has just been uh, exposure to different levels of, of weaponry. Um, you know, I don't think it's any a secret based on what our you know kind of societal issues of, of disagreement are right now, and there's certainly some polarizing issues. Uh, and, and I just think it's it's great to give people the option in their investments where if you don't want to invest your money in a company that isn't having a positive uh, environmental impact, you don't have to. If you don't want to invest your company uh, your money in a company that gets most of its profits from the sale of you know military weaponry and and different types of uh, weapons and ammunition, uh, because that's not something that you support, you, you, know, you don't have to. And, and I think that those are certainly some of the most popular areas that, that I see. So when, when Firms of Endearment came out that sort of started this whole conscious capitalism movement, one of the things that got the big headlines was basically it showed that over the course of time, the companies that followed these conscious capitalism, these four tenets of having a higher purpose beyond profits, they have a stakeholder orientation rather than prioritizing their stockholders, they have conscious leadership and they have a, a conscious culture. And these four elements, they, they were able to show that the companies that fit these elements over the long term, they beat the S&P 500. You know, their returns were eight to 10 times higher over, you know, over 10 or 15 years. And so there was, you know, positive returns for, for having this focus. Uh, there are some people that would say that if you're trying to invest in a socially responsible way, that you have to maybe accept lower returns. So I'm curious your perspective because there is uh, you know, a bit of a debate about whether or not the, the socially responsible investing. I would like to think that in the long term it is more profitable, um, but, but I'm interested in your perspective on, on the returns. Do you coach people that they have to maybe accept lower returns or, or, or what are those conversations like? No, that's a that's a great question, and honestly, Andrew, one of the things that's that's been happening over the years is I think a a misnomer has been created that if you want to be a socially responsible or a socially focused investor, that you know prepare for lower investment returns because you can't compete with all of the companies out there if you're only trying to choose ones that have a you know a stronger social focus. To me, uh, from what I've seen, you know, not only with my own clients and the results of the portfolios that we've put together, but but even like you said, you know, broader based types of studies. I think it's you know, completely untrue that you have to succumb to you know, worse uh, investment performance if you have a socially responsible focus. On the contrary, we're actually starting to see more and more studies come out that are putting legitimacy to the notion that, that you had mentioned, which is, hey, you, might, you may actually have the opportunity to perform better over time with the right socially responsible funds, with the right focuses, because – the thought process is obviously if you're doing things the right way to uh, reward your employees the right way to to help you know foster growth in in society uh, from a social perspective and, and touch upon key issues that there's an opportunity that your company can uh, you know excel over time above and beyond a company that's not doing any of those things. So you know, I would say from my own personal experience. Uh, you know, you certainly do not have to feel like you have to sacrifice investment returns. And like you said, I really do truly think there's an opportunity to potentially improve upon investment returns with the right type of socially responsible strategy. Yeah, I think that there's, you know, you can put yourself up against a, a lot of uh, a lot of risk as a company if you're not following these practices, right? If you have, uh, you know, things that you're trying to hide or, you know, you, I think of the, the VW emissions scandal or, you know, the, any of those sorts of things where, where things can happen that can really tarnish the brand and, and can cost a lot 
to the to the company. And so when you are doing something that is that is truly aligned and you're and you're really embodying the conscious capitalism principles rather than just trying to put out the marketing messages as if as if you are following those principles, um, there is a lot of value to be created. And and so I I'm I remain hopeful and I do get excited. Uh, I'll admit uh, when I do see those studies that show that it can be it can be more profitable in the long term because not that I think that you know, there's probably a lot of people out there that may be willing to take lower returns if they had to, but even better if it becomes the strategy where even if you're looking for the highest returns, you want to invest in these kind of companies. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm completely in agreement there. And the more and more I, I see results from studies, the more and more I see results from, you know, different strategies that we continue to employ for clients, the more and more I get excited. And, you know, there's a reason that I chose to have this niche and this focus because it's something that I, you know, very deeply uh, personally believe in. And the more I, I see all of these types of things coming to fruition in terms of, you know, very positive results from an investment performance perspective and, uh, you know, the, the positive investor feedback and the level of satisfaction that comes along with that as an investor feeling like you can, you know, be very profitable without having to make any sacrifices on your morals or beliefs. Uh, you know, like, like you said, the more hopeful that uh, you know that I become that this continue uh, can continue to be uh, uh, adopted uh, on a larger scale than it already is. So I'm thinking about the uh, the skeptics that I typically run into, and one of them is what we just addressed in terms of sometimes you know whether or not the the returns are higher or lower. The other thing that I hear a lot is, well, you know, how are they actually how are they actually measuring some of these things? So so I'm curious from from your perspective. Uh, with these different mutual funds or with the companies themselves and the way that they they measure things what what ways are there are there you know environmental audits or or what kinds of things are there to to ensure that these these measurements are are legitimate no that's that's a great question and I think that's one you know that's one thing that's important to focus on from an investor perspective um, I've had people come into my office before and they say you know I, th- I think I have a a pretty solid, you know, socially responsible focused type of an investment strategy. But, you know, you look at uh, a fund and unfortunately, you know, it's closer to only being socially responsible by name only than by the actual underlying strategy and the companies that they're holding. When you look at, you know, things like you just mentioned in terms of the uh, the record keeping, the audits, uh, are they really following, uh, you know, the the practices that they preach? And in, in some funds, um, that that can be a worry. Um, but if you're, you know, if, if you're working through a, a process, which which I always talk to people about, which is much more of a, a customizable process that takes into account, you know, scores of, of different uh, individual stocks, uh, which we like to do when we can, even uh, different types of mutual funds, where you're looking at a lot of third party, uh, you know, ranking groups that are available, where they do audits, they do focus on a lot of different environmental criteria, they do focus on a lot. Of different uh, social criteria, and they do focus on a lot of different, you know, internal uh, governance criteria of companies. And and when these uh, consistent um, auditing practices are taking place, and you look at, you know, there might be a score from one to five. One being, hey, you're at the top of your peer group for other companies in your sector, so you're a considered in comparison to the rest of the companies, you're considered very socially conscious. Now, unfortunately, if you're a company that scored a five, you know, you can make the argument that you're probably closer towards the opposite of socially conscious. And 
the interesting reality that I'm starting to see develop is, you know, companies that are, are scoring closer to that five scale at the bottom of the barrel from a socially conscious perspective, that can really, I think, have a, a longer term negative uh, impact uh, when it comes to investment performance and investment success because there's starting to be more and more public backlash when you're looking at a company. And you can tell that their only concern at the end of the day is how they can squeeze out every possible penny for a profit perspective. And the concern does not become at all on uh, the employees, on the culture, on uh, you know, giving back to society in any means. And, and a, you know, a concern isn't shown for any potential negative effects from society that may be coming out of the business model. So I, I think you know, to your point, it's, it's important to – follow some of these different you know, scoring mechanisms that do exist. And, and there's a lot of legitimacy that goes behind them to try to make sure that you know, when you have a socially responsible strategy, that it, it truly is a socially responsible strategy that fits the bill of what you're trying to accomplish. And it isn't just a, an index fund that has you know, socially conscious at the end of it by name only. But when you look at a lot of the underlying holdings, you, you might have some questions there if it's as legitimate as it sounds. So it, that, that's a great question. And I think that scoring is important. So those scores is that is that something that the that the companies are responsible for reporting on if they want to be included in these indexes or is it something where the folks that are actually at the you know mutual fund company are the ones that have to dig in and do the research or where do these where do these number where do they get the information to give the scores so so I'll give you an example so a lot of the uh, a lot of the reporting may be technically voluntary so uh, just to focus in on uh, environmental types of issues for a second. Uh, a lot of the question is around uh, emissions, what's the carbon footprint, you know, what level of, you know, different types of uh, uh, pollutive um, practices could be at play with a business. Now, if you're looking and you have some type of a score that puts you as, hey, you're on the lower end of this, that's a good thing, or you're on the higher end of this, that might be a bad thing. Technically, as a company, you have the ability to not report so you can choose not to report some of this different criteria. A lot of it's not necessarily mandatory, but I'll tell you what, if you're not reporting on a criteria, what does that say about your company if you're not even willing to report where you truly stand on a, on a particular metric? And I think that's uh, one of the things that's costing companies. You know, Certainly, if you're not reporting on a reporting metric that is important to socially conscious investors, you're not going to be included in a socially conscious portfolio. And that's over time just going to draw more and more criticism of, uh, is, is the number really so bad that you, you don't even want to report on it type of a thing? Um, so I'm, I'm seeing more and more of that happening. And it's, it's really actually starting to apply pressure. You know, socially responsible investing in general is starting to apply pressure on some of the companies that you know, historically, you might look at and say, wow, they're really not doing it in a, you know, conscious capitalism type of way. They're starting to feel some significant public backlash from, you know, very large scale investors, very large institutions because of that. So, I, be, you know, I'm, I'm pretty eager to, to continue to see that pattern develop. Yeah, people are gonna maybe assume the worst if you don't say anything at all. And and actually, on the on the opposite end of the spectrum, one of the companies that I've always admired and that's been kind of one of the paragons of conscious capitalism has been Patagonia. Like they have they have for for a very long time have shown, I mean, gone above and beyond to show the carbon footprint of you know every every jacket that you buy or or all those sorts of things. And I think just being being conscious of that and and as they say I think it was Peter Drucker that said it first that if you can measure it you can manage it and so okay well here's where our here's where our you know carbon footprint is today and maybe how can we how can we reduce the carbon footprint or how can we how can we start to change some of these things and people 
um, even if even if you're not doing well, the fact that you are able or or willing to to share where you are now and say, you know, we're going to try to get better. You know, you need to have some kind of starting point. You need to you need to have that 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 pretest score, right? right? So that you can then go and try to try to improve it. Well, I, I mean, I think it's full disclosure is great across the board. I mean, I look at my own industry, and and over the last several years, we've been trying to push closer towards a full disclosure industry. And you know, at, at Sage Ready, we've always been a full disclosure uh, a firm. Uh, you know, particularly in, in my group, how we focus has always been: here's every aspect of the relationship, here's every cost, here's every fee. You know, nothing's going to be hidden. And, and it kind of takes me back to what's been happening with socially conscious uh, investing and socially responsible focused types of funds: is that if you don't have full disclosure on a societal basis, we have an issue because everyone's left to to wonder, is there more to the story? Is there more that's happening? Are we not getting the real reporting metrics of what's going on behind the scenes? So the more that we can push, and whether it's just on the normal investment management side or whether it's on the, you know, the socially responsible funds and individual companies side of things, full disclosure is something that I'm always a big advocate of societally because people deserve to know everything that's going on behind the curtain. So like you said, the score might not be great, but you know what? You're better to disclose, let people know where you are, and then work to make improvements upon that than sit back, not disclose, and try to pull the you know the wool over someone's eyes. So I hope that we see more of that. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the things that really drives conscious capitalism is that there's more and more whether or not, whether they like it or not there's more and more transparency in the world in terms of everybody having their their smartphone in their pocket they can take a picture or a video and transmit it across the world and so if you're not if you're not practicing what you preach or you're trying to hide things you know the the things the, the word's going to get out a lot sooner than than maybe you would have been able to cover it up in the past and so um, why not just be the one to to, to self-report and, and, you know, rather than, rather than try to, I mean, it's, it's bad enough when you're not reporting at all, but then sometimes even if you're trying to cover things up or, or any of those sorts of things can really come back to bite you and, and will have a bottom line impact if you're, if you are trying to cover things up or if you are, uh, not doing things in a way where people might not want to invest in your company or might not want to, you know, buy, buy your products and those, those certain things. So the last thing that I wanted to touch on, um, in measurement that just kind of came up as, as, as you were talking was, does it make a difference? Is it more difficult in, you know, developing countries? Uh, because if you, if you're talking about international, you know, investments and things like that, I would imagine that some of that disclosure, some of that reporting, some of those standards may not, may not be there. So does, does socially responsible investing become more difficult if you have a a more international portfolio? Uh, to an extent it can, depending on where you are investing. So if you're talking about developed Europe, you know, I, I don't think it is more sure. challenging because they have great standards uh, in terms of you know what their companies have to follow. Uh, it, you know, a lot of things you might be able to rely on on a lot of developed uh, first world countries coming out of like the Europe area or other you know developed countries uh, throughout the world. But when you start talking uh, a little bit more specifically about emerging markets, which are you know more so the up and coming developing you know third world countries trying to you know uh, improve upon their standing, it can be more challenging simply because, uh, you know, like we talked about earlier, they're just not disclosing. You know, the, the reporting doesn't exist. The, they're not following and, and measuring the different type of metrics that you might look for as a socially conscious investor. Uh, although it may be more challenging in, in certain areas of the world, 
By no means is it impossible. I mean, we have several funds that we utilize in clients' portfolios that are emerging markets funds, and they're only going to you know, choose to invest in companies that are doing what they ask of them from a disclosure perspective so that they can know where they stand and, and kind of benchmark and, and choose to include them in the portfolio if they, if they fit the criteria. Uh, so it can be a little bit more challenging, uh, but if done the right way, I think it can you know, pretty manageably be incorporated as, as part of the portfolio as well. Okay, interesting. And because I think in a lot of cases, um, those those are the places where there can be really positive impacts. You know, your dollar can go a lot farther, especially when I'm thinking of some of those Kiva investments that I've made in the past. Right, where you can you can give somebody a couple couple thousand dollars and they can start some kind of a business. Where I think there is a there is a lot of impact. Uh, that can be had when the when the dollar can stretch further. Um, so so hopefully we see some of those abilities to to measure or or um, you know put some metrics on that continue to evolve. And so that leads me into as we start to uh, to to wrap up. I, I want to look towards the the future that that you see for for socially responsible investing. I th- I thought the the one element that you mentioned it was really interesting how you've seen over time it evolve from that that exclusionary, you know, I don't want to invest in companies that don't have good practices in the in the environment or with animal rights um, to now saying not not punishing the bad but how do we also reward the good companies that are that are doing that are going out of their way to uh, to, to do the, the right thing uh, so that's been one one evolution is there any other things that you maybe see coming along the pike that that could be the future of socially responsible investing or see it evolving at all in the future I think one of the most interesting potential implications that could happen are that you know your extremely developed players already in the investment management spectrum you start talking about companies like BlackRock or even like a Vanguard uh, and American funds you know huge behemoth types of companies one of the interesting things that I'm kind of anxiously awaiting for, and we're already starting to see signs that uh, it's certainly something that's on these companies' minds that that they're looking to try to actively make changes towards, but I'm hopeful that your traditional investment companies are going to be feeling the pressure so much from a lot of these social demands of investors that they are going to have to you know, reshape to an extent the structure of some of their own funds and some of their own business practices to try to kind of actually keep up with the times. We talked about you know, in just how short of a period of time we've gone from you know, having at least, you know, to an extent more of an exclusionary type of a um, investment approach to, hey, now we're now we're all inclusive. You know, we're, we're, we're not going to have the offenders in the portfolio, but we're also going to try to reward the companies doing things the right way. The more and more that we're seeing this as a, as a large demand from society, you know, I, I have to commend all of the um, you know, groups nationwide that are, you know, pushing for uh, certain reforms in certain areas that they find of, of large social importance because because that um, that resonates right back up to the top with a lot of these large uh, investment companies, and I think that over time we're going to continue to see the dynamic change, and that you know some of the companies who have been shunning socially responsible investing are going to you know continue to be hurt even worse by this you know changing trend, or they're going to have to get with the times and start to have some pretty strong viable solutions that they're offering to the marketplace themselves, or else I do think it can be a, a hindrance. Wouldn't wouldn't that be a a different view of the future? That'd be that'd be pretty special, you know. I, I I think we saw in the conscious capitalism community so much excitement when Larry Fink came out with that that message about basically telling companies that if they if they don't adopt a societal purpose, then even BlackRock is gonna is gonna 
question whether or not they're going to want to invest in you and, and so forth to, for it to go mainstream. Um, for, for socially responsible investing, for that term to get thrown out the window because it's, it becomes the norm would be, uh, would be pretty pretty inspiring view of the future. So That'd be if, awesome. for, for, for those listeners who have not read, uh, read the letter, just search uh, Larry Fink, BlackRock, Conscious Capitalism. You'll, you'll, find, you'll find that letter that he wrote to shareholders that was really, really, really exciting for what could be the future of conscious capitalism, socially responsible investing, going to the mainstream, and, and really being a game changer. So in terms of the industry, certainly a, an exciting view of the future. What about yourself? What are you, what are you dreaming about for, for your own future? How do you see your own practice evolving, maybe being able to, to serve your clients in a, in a new or better or different way with, with more social impact uh, for, for those that are interested? Yeah, I mean one of one of the things that's you know already happening, and I, I look forward to you know really continuing uh, the positive momentum is just continuing to get the message out. I mean, I, I kind of anticipate and try to do some projections over the next many years, and you know at at the pace that I've been able to uh, take on new investors with a socially responsible focus or, you know, just convert uh, existing investors who previously didn't have a socially responsible focus to now being a socially responsible investor. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic to continue to really uh, improve upon the level of socially responsible investing that is going on uh, amongst my own clientele, which I've been seeing some very positive trends. And I think, you know, like we talked about, the more, the more this happens, the more uh, strong solutions continue to develop in socially responsible investing. You know, what I'm optimistic of is being able to provide solutions that are not only socially responsible in nature, but that are better investment solutions than those people may be able to get elsewhere. Uh, you know, like we talked about earlier. So uh, I, I'm anxious to, you know, really see that develop over the next uh, several years, which I think is, is very feasible based on the trends that we're seeing. And uh, I'm excited to kind of see it all unfold. That's an, another exciting view of the future. I'd love to see a day where people come to their financial advisor and, and if they don't know about socially responsible investing, then they're like, what are, what are you talking about? You don't do socially responsible investing. So, so that'd, be, that'd be another great trend for that to go uh, mainstream. But for the, for the time being, uh, Zach, it, with seven or eight years of experience of SRI under your belt, uh, you've definitely been a pioneer and, and I can tell you have passion to continue to stay at the forefront. So for those that are listening, that are interested and, and want to learn more about how to invest in a more socially responsible way, uh, what's the best way to find you? Uh, you can, you know, always look us up on uh, our website, you know, sageruddy.com slash Ogden group, uh, which is, you know, the group that uh, I'm a part of at Sage Ruddy with our, you know, socially responsible focuses that we do have. People can always just send me an email, uh, zarmstrong at sageruddy.com. Um, you know, always an easy way to communicate via email and just drop a quick note if you ever have a question. Um, always tell people to just feel free to look us up online. Uh, feel free to uh, shoot an email, um, certainly on LinkedIn if other people are on there and, and want to connect and ever have a conversation. You know, Zach Armstrong at Sage Ruddy, you can look me right up on LinkedIn. So I always welcome conversations around this topic just because of the, uh, you know, the, the personal belief that I have in it. So if you ever want to reach out, that's great. 
Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Zach, for coming in today and for all the work that you're doing. And hopefully, maybe we can have you in in a couple years and see how that that vision that we have for the future of socially responsible investing, how it's coming in coming into play. So thanks again for coming in. And uh, this has been the Evolution of Business podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Appreciate it. And uh, one day, hopefully, we'll be sitting down across the table and we'll be talking about how socially responsible investing has just become investing. Love it. This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at wickedsquidstudios.com.